We mentioned this this um, drum machine. Now, if you've ever been in a band or been near a band, you'll have heard of it. It's called the Roland TR-808. It was one of the first ever programmable drum machines. And it was only in production for a few years, 1980 to 83. But incredibly, it still continues to revolutionise music across a whole range of genres right up to today. I'm delighted to say we're joined now and delighted by Alex Dunn, who's the director of 808, a new documentary that's just been released on Apple TV, all about the TR-808. Alex, how are you tonight? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it seems strange to the documentary about a drum machine, interviews and thoughts and people having recollections. You you imagine they're talking about a musician, but it's actually a machine they're talking about. Yeah, it is a bit odd. And it's kind of, I think when you initially describe it to people, it kind of sounds like a, a bit of an odd concept. But, I mean, that's the beauty of it, really, in a way. They're just kind of looking under the hood a little bit of, of a lot of these... Uh, uh, musicians' um, experiences and lives uh, and the music they've made with it. And actually, it was something that all of them were very, very passionate about being involved with. And, uh, passionate about it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, again, it's that thing, if they talk about it almost like it's a person, they, it, it's like a subjective thing that they really love. Um, what exactly is it that, that it did? Well, I think the, the thing with the 808 is it was... Um, you know, it came out, it was a drum machine um, that Roland brought out in 1980, like you said. And, um, you know, obviously it was made as uh, something to kind of go and write music with in the studio or whatever. And actually what it ended up doing is it is it just kind of revolutionised music uh, to an extent without really meaning to. So um, it ended up in certain studios or certain, uh, you know, in the hands of certain producers by accident to an extent it was you know affordable it was um a, you know quite a lot cheaper than the other options that were around at the time and it then was used on some really really um amazing and iconic records that in that in turn helped change the shape of music really um yeah when you start to go through some of those records the list is off the clock isn't it it really is, yeah. I mean, just just the ones that we have in the film are phenomenal, but that's kind of just the starting point as well. I've so you've of... got, I mean, uh, I would say, that, you know, in terms of that, we we very much have like as a focal point and a starting point for um, how we looked at the film and certainly how the film is is put together is uh, Planet Rock, Africa and Barter and the Soul Sonic Force, um, and that was one of the first sort of really, really big records that kind of hit really hard that had an 808 um, used in in the production of it. And it was, you know, at a time when hip hop was kind of growing in, in the in the US, in New York, um, and it was really emerging and becoming something of a culture out there. And there were a lot of, you know, big rec- hit records at the time. Um, but they were, you know, they were done in a very different way. A lot of them had live drummers, and suddenly this record came along, and it had, um, you know, it had something that just sounded completely different. I mean, it, the the 808 didn't really sound like drums, but but that was kind of what was so great about it. That's what's hard to get your head around, really, isn't it? Because you kind of a bit is thinking, you know, in terms of of nothing is going to play, replace a human, um, and then it's almost the fact that the the 808 almost isn't trying to replace a human. Uh, that is is it's it's ace in the hole really isn't it it's unique well i guess so. i mean that's the thing is it, and it certainly wasn't when it came out like i say the the point of it was is it, you know when they made it they manufactured it to be a studio tool where you would program some drums and then you would write 
music with it and then you wouldn't necessarily use that on your um on your recording you get a proper really drummer fun. in for that exactly exactly but then people did and people yeah. kind of you know it was it was pushing the boundaries i guess at the start by just including it and pushing it as hard as you could and then people kind of took it and at every stage during uh, the, the development of its use have kind of pushed it further and further really what was so good about it? Why why were people so excited and why were, were they able to use it in such a wide range of music? Well, I think, I mean, certainly in hip-hop, I think uh, the reason that people were kind of, you know, really resonated with them literally was, was the, the low end of the, of the kick drum. So it was very, you know, it had a very, very sort of deep um, resonant bass that kind of, it, it would kind of hang and... Um, yeah, it, it was something that you could really get a lot of low end and and uh, bottom frequency out of, and I think that that I mean that defined very much a lot of the hip hop sound at the time, and the sound that you still hear now. It's it's very very relevant. Um, and in terms of just, I, I mean, I guess being used across, there's a lot of the genres, you know, like Miami bass and um, obviously getting used in drum and bass a lot of here, the more urban sort of scenes. It was it was generally to do with the to do with the bass. Uh, and the kick was was one of the really defining things, but then obviously, it, I mean, it just sounded so iconic anyway. And just when you hear it in pop music, it was you know like Marvin Gaye, "Sexual Healing" was all done. Uh, you know, the drum beat is all an eight to eight. And when you listen back to it, it's so so iconic, but it's yeah. so surprising actually that 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 would be used on a record of that sort of magnitude. I'm going to have to dig that up before the evening is over. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> have to play that. Uh, it's funny too, isn't it? It kind of, it went in at a, at a good price to studios, but it was really when it started to be sold really cheaply at a second-hand level that it really took off, wasn't mm. it? Yeah, well, I think that was when it just became, yeah, again, it was it was more available. Um, they'd, uh, you know, it, I think that's the thing really with it, is it's just when when it became something that everyone could have or, or you could get quite easily, then it became um, something that could infiltrate music, especially in, I, I guess, I mean, not so much in the more mainstream, you know, the sort of pop records and stuff, but when it was in, you know, more urban movements, like we were talking about drum and bass and we were talking about Miami bass and things like that, they were, you know, perhaps things where you would need to go and get secondhand gear or whatever, or people were looking at how they could do things differently and twist things and not necessarily be able to go out and buy the newest kit. And I suppose that is why it kind of stuck around in those yeah. uh, in those sort of types of music. And the people you talk to in the documentary, they kind of talk about it with a love and a passion. Um, I suppose that's yeah. a lot of that is because it, it gave them the opportunity to take their songs in a direction that they might not have been able to otherwise. Well, I think so, yeah. I think... Um, I think it really did allow people um, the ability to kind of experiment quite a lot with the, with the music they were making uh, and make things, you know, like we were talking about, sound very, very distinct and individual. Um, and you, you know, there's a great story in the film about the Beastie Boys and how and how the um, track Paul Revere was written and how that kind of was done in a very different way. And and I mean, it works really, really well in the film. But I think. If almost all of it is about the sort of progression of how it was used um, and how it was able to allow people to have that very individual, iconic sound, but yet they were still searching for something that they'd heard somewhere else. So it was always kind of going back to, well, I heard it on that record and it's yeah. huge, so how can I make use it on my records and make it even bigger or in a different way, I guess. Yeah. What would you say is the most iconic use of it? 
Um, I mean, again, I'd probably go back to, uh, in terms of a record, I'd probably go back to Marvin Gaye's Sexual right. Healing again, just because I think that's probably the record in the film that I think you'd find it very, very difficult to find someone who doesn't know yeah. that song. Um, um, yeah. It is also, um, when Talking Heads did their Stop Making Sense gigs, it is, that's what David Byrne walked on stage to, wasn't it? Yeah, so yeah, there's a version on on YouTube, isn't it, the, yeah. of uh, Psycho Killer, um, and he comes out and does it with an Ace an Ace Weight live, which yeah. is uh, pretty cool. I think we Worth have that. Um, yeah. Alex, it's up on um, Apple. It's being released on Apple TV, isn't it? Yeah. So um, it was last Friday. It was okay. available Apple Music, so it's exclusively on Apple Music. Okay. Uh, this Friday, it will also be available to download on iTunes. You can pre-order now. Great. Uh, there is also um, an album as well out. So there's a, there's a soundtrack which you can get um, on vinyl and that you can download as well. Excellent. But, uh, on vinyl, that's all we needed to know, Alex. Exactly. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> an excellent present for Christmas. Alex, thanks very much for, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And, no problem, uh, thank you. It's the Roland TR-808, one of the most famous little bits of studio gear you'll ever get your hands on. Um, this is that little piece of Talking Heads. Hi, I got a tape I want to play. 